all comes in a second, and Reese McGuire is nowhere to be found. <laughs> Kenjin Rio had time to come back, make two starts, get injured, but <laughs> still come like, back again, probably. And there's still no Chad freaking Green. And welcome to episode number 278 of Artificial Turf Wars, which is also known as the Davis Schneider Appreciation Society. I am your host, Davis Schneider Superfan number one, Greg Wisniewski. <laughs> I am joined <laughs> by Davis Schneider Superfan number one A, Joshua Hausen. How's it going, Josh? I appreciate the one A, you know? Like, I thought you might throw a little two on there and a little shade there, but uh, I appreciate it. I'm pretty sure you knew who David Schneider was, uh, you know, before last week, before I formed I the David I, Schneider Appreciation I, Society. I think there might have been a podcast or two where I suggested that they should call him up. So, yes, I did. <laughs> Uh, so that we're going to talk about how that's going. And then also, uh, we're going to talk about the rest of the series in Boston, which had some wonderful bright signs for the offense that evaporated pretty much immediately when they were, uh, arrived in Cleveland. But hey, what you going to do? Uh, there's been good starts from Manoa and Kikuchi and even Ryu insofar as he can't pitch at the moment because he got hit in the leg uh, by a line drive. There have been some injuries as well uh, after we discussed that because uh, Kevin Kiermeyer cheese gratered his arm. Chad Green is in concussion protocol, but but Romano and Bichette are getting closer to returning. So uh, we have that, which then we will mix up with your questions. And then we will give over possibly the biggest do-over we've ever given in a broadcasting sense, anyway, to Orioles ownership. Um, you, if, if you haven't been living in a cave and you watch any MLB updates, you probably already know what we're talking about. But we'll talk about all the trolling that's gone on afterwards. So, the Blue Jays... <clears throat> could not win a game against the Boston Red Sox in 2023. As a matter of fact, it felt like like preordained losses the last two times they faced them. And then, lo, they went into Fenway, and Davis Schneider arrived on the team, and, and Fortune smiled upon them. It sure did. Uh, it's funny, because they came off the heels of losing three out of four to Baltimore at home, and they go into Boston where they hadn't done a thing, and then Davis Schneider shows up and hits a home run in his first at-bat. It's like, okay. We might have something going. <laughs> it might not be impossible. They're, they're, I think that was the Jays' third home run of the game at that point. So, was it five solo home runs? Mm-hmm. That was the day after Don Mattingly made a, a comment to the media that this isn't a team that can just go out there and hit home runs. I know. The timing was just incredible. <laughs> and then, of course, Schneider ended up hitting another home run in the series. And it was just. <laughs> It's like his debut was record setting. He was the first player ever to get nine hits, including two home runs in his first three games. And only the second player ever just to get nine hits. The last one was like in 1926 or something like that. It was an unbelievable debut for Schneider. And he, he you know, in his fourth game, he went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. But as we're recording this during game three of the Cleveland series, he's 0 for 0 with two walks. And to me, the thing that sets Schneider apart isn't his lean back and hit the ball over the fence swing, which is amazing he ever gets singles with that swing. But his ability and willingness to take a walk and to be patient, which, you know, a lot of guys come up to the big leagues and the first thing they do is, you know, they get nervous and they try to hit. Well, he's got three walks in four and a half games now and he's not forcing the issue. And that's, to me, a sign of a guy who can actually be a real help down the stretch. Now, uh, interesting wrinkle here. I'm, I'm all, you know, I'm all for his his wonderful debut and celebrating it, and I hope he continues. Um, but his stats in the international league is the IL using a automated strike zone system this year in AAA? Yes, and the call and the challenge system. They've used one for part and one the other for part. Offense in the American in the international league is way up, so you do have to take his numbers with a bit of a grain of salt, but. 21 home runs is still 21 home runs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I just think it, it uh, is interesting that um, I, I wonder if, if in that environment, your ability to take walks, maybe you get more confident 
about your judgment of the strike zone if you feel like like there's a machine that that potentially is on your you know is is not pulling a las diaz and expanding the zone just because it feels like it on a given night i wonder if that changes your attitude towards um taking walks because you're not thinking about the umpire or the catcher so much yeah i mean this is sort of the nonsense argument i guess that people make about barry bonds when you know some people say like me for example would say his command of the strike zone was so elite that steroids don't teach that but then some people would argue that he got so used to be spitting on borderline pitches because people pitched around him all the time that his command of the strike zone improved now in his case his command of the strike zone was tremendous even before he got huge so it doesn't really apply but in the concept that you're talking about i do think it does make a difference if you if you have robots calling the strike zone all the time, you could get a really good sense of where it's supposed to be. Yeah, from, from day to day. And, uh, and maybe, maybe it clears your head. Then when you do get to the bigs, I know you're going to get upset about borderline pitches that are called wrong, but you're also going to be like, no, I know, I know in my heart that that's a borderline pitch. So it'd be interesting to see if that has had an impact over the you know, two-thirds of a season he spent in, uh, in the International League. Um, Obviously, he's a guy who knows how to make contact. He has some power. Uh, he appears to play a perfectly competent second base. I, you know, we haven't seen anything astoundingly weird out of him. Um, I, I can't believe uh, John Schneider sat his his namesake down after only three games. <laughs> yeah, four games. He played the first four. Okay. And, and then he sat in the fifth one, and the Jays got shut out. You know, like what does that mm, tell you? Mm, um, so the rest that of that series, ridiculous, by the way, just I, hold on, like sitting him and and Chapman in the same game. So you have Espinal and Biggio both in the lineup with the young. That was some weak sauce at the bottom. Of the line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to focus on Boston before we got into the yeah, problems with Cleveland. So, yeah, um, you know, the Blue Jays uh, had a had a game where they hit a lot of solo home runs. Still can't hit with runners in scoring position, but it doesn't matter when you hit a bunch of home runs. Um, that game, I believe, had uh, that one or the next one had George Springer getting on base five times in one game. You know, the last time he did that, I saw on Twitter. When opening day. <laughs> oh yeah, right in that game we get all those little weak singles up the middle. I forgot about that one. Yeah, so um, uh, you know, I think there is hope for George Springer. Uh, absolutely, uh, he homered tonight. Um, you know, recency bias and all that. Uh, but the Blue Jays putting up 13 runs was one of the first laughers that they've had in a while. And in Fenway was extremely strange. Yeah, I, I mean, they they do that occasionally, right? They had the game where they scored 20 against Tampa earlier in the year. And I think that was in April. Fen- <laughs> yeah, right. I forgot they hit me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a... They, the Red Sox pitching sucks, right? So if you're going to do it against a team, you should do it against that one. Although Paxton's been pretty good, and they hit him really hard. So you know, it was nice to see, um, you know, the power especially, because that had been starting to come around. You know, Kirk had been hitting for a little bit more. But, you know, getting and, – and Merrifield is on, the, on a homer barrage for Whit Merrifield. It's unbelievable what he's doing of late. Yeah, but, you know, getting a homer from Vlad. And uh, I think Chapman hit one later in the game. And just the, these running scoring position problems that they've had like crazy, although they were fine in one of those Red Sox games, are mitigated when you hit the ball over the fence. Yeah. Yeah, because it doesn't matter if there are runners on. Or, you know, you'd like runners to be on, but it doesn't matter. You, you're scoring runs. And, I mean, ultimately, <clears throat> the Blue Jays are so good at pitching which is something we, should, we will be talking about. They're so good at pitching, you know, starting and in the bullpen. A couple of runs is, I'm sure, the opponent with the Jays with a two-run lead. I think opponents are like, oh, crap, what are we going to do now? Like, how are we going to grind out to get back into this game? Which is not something that we've been used to with the Blue Jays pitching staff in recent years. Yeah, we'll get to a two-run lead that almost got lost against Boston next. But first, I want to touch on... <laughs> because that was the crazy that that was the best game Um, (laughs) (laughs) Manoa um he had 12 swinging strikes and six and two-third with only two walks now he gave up a couple homers but you know it's Fenway that'll happen (coughs) but the 19 called and swinging strikes that's 
better than he's had for most of the season. It was a you know a twenty one point three called and stringing called and swinging strike rate isn't elite, but for Manoa this year it sure is. Uh, oh wait, no, that was bad math. It was thirty two point five percent. I did nineteen instead of twenty nine. So yeah, that's actually yeah. really really good. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I I think like he is. We've seen that over. Over time, his second start was not good, but since he's come back, he's kind of kind of inching in the direction of Alec Manoa in 2022. Yeah, the velocity isn't still there, so you know there's still cause for concern. But as long as he's throwing the ball where he wants to throw it, he can at least be more effective. And there was also some worry about how he'd respond to leaving his last start after hitting Taylor Ward in the face and ending Ward's season with broken bones in his face, you know, cause you don't know what the emotional toll that could take on a person is. I can't imagine I would do well if I did that. No, so I mean, there, there's, leaguer, but still, but there's records of major leaguers, you know, uh, not, you know, not being the same, uh, kind of pitcher for a while <laughs> when they do that. Right. Cause nobody wants yeah. to hit anybody in the face. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, and he, came it's out and he was really good. Um, yeah. you know, he wasn't, Amazing, you know, three runs over six and two third with two walks, five strikeouts. That's pretty good. It's not, but pretty good from what Alec Manoa is right now. That's great. I mean, he's the fifth starter at the moment, or fifth or sixth, depending on how things play out with Ryu, who we'll get to. But the back of the rotation giving you that is a win every time. Yeah. So let's talk about that ninth inning, starting in the top of the ninth, because I think it, it frames at the bottom of the ninth even even wilder. The Jays were up in the second game. Yeah. Jays were up four three, scored an insurance run, and with one out they had Kirk on third and Espinal on second. I don't remember who was batting. Um, I don't either. I think the bases were loaded actually. Bases okay. Bases were loaded, and a shallow mid shallow fly ball. You know, nothing, nothing deep, nothing where anyone's back on their heels is hit. And Kirk and Espinal tag up and Kirk bluffs to go to home. A couple big because steps. Because of course Kirk isn't going home. Yes. And also Kirk isn't getting pinch run for because there is nobody to run for Kirk at this point. Um, yeah, because Jensen was hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, this is it. Um, so the, the hope is, is that you spook someone maybe into making a mistake or he bobbles the ball or whatever, and then you can go. Espinal takes off from second and Kirk heads back to third and they hang Espinal up and he, you know, very, very like, aw shucks, shrugs his shoulders and he gets tagged out uh, and doubled off end of inning. So the Blue Jays had a, had a one out rally going and it scored one run and it looked like they were just going to turn the screws to the Red Sox. And now you got two run lead going to the ninth, five, three. <laughs> You can take oh, it from here. <laughs> so this is start, it actually started to get a little scary because so uh, they, they Meza finished the previous inning and he came back out for Devers because of course he did and he got Devers out. So then they went to Swanson to close, which I still don't like Swanson as the closer, but whatever. I explained why in the last episode. Don't need to do it again. And it went single, single, single. <laughs> and all of a sudden it was 5-4 with one out. And Reese McGuire, who was one of the guys, Reese McGuire pinch hit, got a pinch hit single, by the way, which is a weird sentence to say, but he did. So he was on second, and Connor Wong hit a pretty well hit fly ball. T Towering comes to mind, though. I mean, that, that was a, a, a high fly ball. Uh, and it was towards the monster, although not really pulled. A little yeah, bit was, left was, to center. More, more towards center, left center, right? It was... yeah. Not not even straight away left center. It was closer to Kiermaier who ended up catching the ball. But uh, yeah, Kiermaier catches it at the fence. And watching on TV, it's like, okay, you know, they got the out. Now they just need one more out. And then the ball comes in a second, and Reese McGuire is nowhere to be found. <laughs> He's around He's third in the game. And then you get to see the replay of what Reese McGuire actually did. The ball was hit, and McGuire raises his fist to the air. Turns, keeps looking and raising it to the air, and then starts jogging around the bases as though it was a walk-off home run. And his <laughs> third base stopped. coach makes a a pirouette motion with his arm, a spiral motion, which I have heard an argument that he was saying, circle back. And I'm thinking... No, what he was actually doing was telling the runner on first 
he was he wasn't making oh. he was moving his hand like get further out get further out it looked like a circle but he was actually waving ah. trying to get the runner on first to go closer to second because if it hits the wall then he can get to third and then reese mcguire's in his face <laughs> yeah i mean the coach had nothing reese mcguire didn't even look at the coach he just started running yeah. <laughs> it's just it was unbelievably dumb and and then of course the, the jokes flowed Anytime Reese McGuire does something embarrassing or stupid, you know yeah. what's coming. Yeah, and we we will we will spare our our tender eared listeners all of those. But yes, it's it's very simply, gosh, that must be the most embarrassing thing to ever happen to Reese McGuire. It's my favorite interpretation. It's like, a, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look up if that's the most embarrassing thing. I'll let I'll let someone else do that. Um, how often, I mean, I don't have to ask how often, have you ever seen a game that ended the top of the ninth with someone getting doubled off second base on a fly ball and the bottom of the ninth ending with someone getting doubled off second on a fly ball? I'm sure I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's almost no chance that I've seen that happen. Has it happened? I don't even know. Yeah, I, I, that's a that's a stats LLC or a ESPN, you know, deep dive there. But I was like, how unlikely? The first one was was unlikely enough. The second one was just like again, just just right now. Okay, sure, game's over. I'm I I looked at my wife. I'm like, I can't believe they, that just happened. I, I literally cannot believe that. She's like, yay. I'm like, yes, absolutely, yay. So five four Blue Chase. <laughs> that's how we do that so we should talk about the pitching um you referenced manoa's start uh kikuchi as you keep calling him sai kikuchi i think Yusai. you sai you sai kikuchi okay i got you now <laughs> uh yeah seven innings in cleveland yeah uh, he hasn't had a lot of those so yeah, a loss of course because the jays couldn't score. Can't hit. They can't we, hit against anybody who's actually a decent pitcher, apparently. But yeah, his ERA is down to three point five three. It's actually, I think, in the top thirty in the league. Uh, John Schneider called him top fifteen today. There you go. So, I meant baseball. I did not just email. Oh, okay, game. sorry. Yeah. Um, in his last five starts, Yusei Kikuchi has given up four earned runs, and they've and and, and not more than one in any of them. And and he's he's I mean he's is he the fifth starter is he the fourth starter is he like in in our in our depth chart <laughs> he is not he should not be in the top fifteen in ERA and yet no yeah well I mean you look at him pitch and you're like yeah of course this guy should be in the top fifteen in ERA right you know, yeah tremendous stuff throws hard from the left side. And then you, it's like, wait a minute, but it's Yusei Kikuchi, right? But, they, you know, he's not walking people. And that's just the thing. He's going to have some times where he just doesn't do very well because people hit him. But he's not giving out. He's not walking people, and he doesn't give him a home run in his last five starts. That's right? that you. Yeah, that's a tough formula to beat, right? No free passes and no home runs. So what do you have that's to what do? Kevin Gossman did. I mean, yeah. Gossman literally did none of either <laughs> one of those things. Kikuchi's not doing that. But limit both those things you'll win most games and it's not like he was doing it against bad teams either it was the last four starts at seattle at the dodgers and a home against baltimore before the game against cleveland and those are some good offenses especially the dodgers in baltimore so i mean uh, early in the season someone asked me based on my prediction that he have an era plus over 100 how low i'd predict his era to go and i said three six he's below that He's beating my projection now. Obviously, it's only August 8th. The season's not over. But he's been even better than I thought he could be. Yeah. And and everyone thought you were pretty bullish on Yusei uh, Kikuchi prior to this season. Yeah. I, I even called it a bold prediction. You know, it wasn't like it was like, oh, of course. <laughs> People are fools if you can't see this. No, it's just a belief, right? Um, wow. I mean, he's he has just been incredible. And I think, you know, he's worthy of a full you know, however many minutes we talked about this, just saying how good he's been. And the biggest change, it's not even just been his control. 
it's this in his recent stretch, it's been his command, which is why the home runs are down. He's actually throwing pitches on the edges for strikes, and he's not throwing his fastball as often four feet high sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. That thing that he'll do, it'll be it'll be one and two. He'll try to throw a fastball by a guy, and he'll miss the zone by eight feet. And he's not doing that. And if he can continue to throw the ball generally where he wants to, he's this isn't going to stop because his stuff is so good. Yeah, yeah. We we and nobody's ever argued against Yusei Kikuchi's you know ninety five ninety six mile an hour fastball and his uh you know his effective pitch mix and and everything else. It was just like why can't he throw his fastball in the strike zone was his biggest problem last year, which is still a remarkable problem when I say it out loud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seems seems like the, the the rarest problem to have for a pitcher. Oh, go back to your fastball. I can't hit the zone. So yeah. You have Manoa in a situation where it looks like he's he's got some consistency good enough to go. Like the most important part of that Manoa start is not the earn runs allowed, it's the six and two thirds innings. Right? It's can you give them can you give the bullpen uh length? Well, especially now too, because with the seven but the seven man bullpen, so they're down a spot a, a roster spot because of six starters, you need the starters to go deep. And that was the worry, right? When it's like, okay, well, Manoa's back and Ryu's coming back. Um, obviously, Ryu didn't go deep for reasons, again, we'll get to, but Manoa did his job. And if they can keep doing that, it's going to make a massive difference to how this team finishes the season. Yeah. Um, Ryu, uh, we might as well go there, was looking fantastic in his uh, second outing back in Cleveland. Four innings, no hits, uh, a, one very hard line drive off of the inside of his knee, and he managed to make the play. He managed to throw kind of off kilter to Vlad while he was hopping around, and then he went down in a heap because he didn't want to put any more weight, and I don't blame him, on his knee. Uh, <clears throat> there, was, there was suspicion that maybe he did something on the like on the turn and throw but the the report came out later that no the the injury is just the contusion he didn't twist it or uh you know or, or feel anything else afterwards uh yeah, so it was just literally getting struck by a fast moving hard object in your knee yeah i um, go down and also what sucked about that was that he should have had the batter before struck out <laughs> and then the ump blew the call so yep. he walked and extended the inning and then it's just like oh man like <laughs> he should have been out of the inning Hundred percent. But the really good news. Okay, well, first let's get before we get to the actual injury. The pitching was vintage Ryu. Now he was still only getting up to ninety-one and sitting like eighty-eight, eighty-nine, which isn't great. But the thing that made Ryu always a better bet to age well was that he already didn't throw very hard. But his secondary pitches, especially his changeup, are so good, and his command is so good that even with a dip in stuff, he should still be effective. And that's what we saw. Now, the Guardians aren't very good. They're not a good hitting team. But his changeup was just baffling them. And when he's got that pitch working, he's really, really tough. And his postgame comments, you know, after discussing the injury included, I could put my my pitches exactly where I wanted to them tonight. It, you know, it was a shame that I got hurt. And that's what you want Ryu to feel like after a 14-month layoff, right? Is that he can come out and find that touch to get himself not only in the zone, but where in the zone he wants to be. Because that was the, that, whenever he suffered with the Blue Jays, it's when he's close to the zone, but not quite where he wants to be. And then he gets punished because, like you said, he's not throwing very hard. Um, and then he, he's not fooling people enough. Yeah. So, and it was really good to see it. And then obviously it, his, the injury was really scary. I mean, because, because of how well he went down, how hard he went down, right? I mean, he was lying on the ground, wincing in pain when they were moving his knee. He might make his next start. Yeah. No, Fingers x-rays were negative. Yeah, I mean, x-rays were negative and it's just now about pain and swelling. And, you know, with the six-man rotation and uh, I think he would... I'm not sure if the day off will come before his next start or not, but uh, I think it won't. But with the six-man rotation, five full days off to heal from a bruise and, and, and swelling is doable. I'm not saying he'll definitely do it. They have options if he can't, right? Because they have the six-man rotation, they can just go to five men. Yeah. But 
it, it definitely could have been so much worse, and it's really, really good that it isn't. Speaking of injuries uh, that could have been so much worse, but also were entirely unnecessary, <laughs> oh Kevin Kiermeyer. Okay, <laughs> I my final thought is going to be what happened in Boston tonight to, that makes it a stupid stadium. But we could start with why is there a cheese grater on the wall <laughs> in center field in Boston? Oh, that Kept, I mean, yeah, go, go ahead. The park is really old, so it's people like, oh, Fenway. Fenway's a dump. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. really is. There are horrible sight lines in the park. You know, we'll get to your final thought thing in, at the end, but yeah, there's a garage door in this stupid center field triangle. And Kiermaier, in a 13 to 1 game, decides to go up for a leaping catch. And scraped up his arm and got eight, needed eight stitches because he caught his arm on the garage door on the center field fence. Yeah, there's like a grill in front of it or on it, yeah. and and the texture of the grill is obviously about what it looks like in you know on camera. Not nice. Uh, so yeah, eight stitches. I I am sure, you know, there would be a way for him to play, but it certainly makes a whole lot more sense to just let him heal up. Let Dalton Varshow play center for 10 days and then he can come back full strength and, and, you know, maybe take the layoff as well, you know, take a breather. Uh, but yeah, what a, what a stupid way to lose Kevin Kiermaier. Yeah. Um, Chad Green was, uh, coming back, uh, doing a rehab assignment and you have stupid ways to lose a guy. Yeah. We keep going. Um, line drives are scary. Uh, also scary, catchers who just drill their own pitcher with a throw down to second base. So we have a question about where blame is proportioned here. Well, we'll save that part of it for the, for the questions, but what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> finally, finally, he's basically, it's like Green has one more outing. It was the thought, and he'd be back up, which with you know a couple other guys down, that would have been really nice. And he just, oh, just throw a ball off his head with a runner stealing second in a minor league game, too. It's just like, why? Why is this happening? Well, I think it's funny because we talked about Chad Green like he was going to be back before Hyunjin Ryu. Hyunjin Ryu had time to come back, make two starts, get injured. <laughs> and still come back again, probably. And there's still no Chad freaking Green. So full credit to the concussion protocol. I do not want a man who is suffering from a brain injury to be out on the mound. So. I'm glad they're doing that, but I'm not happy it happened. That's that's what it comes down to. Give me some good yeah. injury news, Josh. Well, I just want to quickly one more note before I give you any good news because I'm a jerk like that. Oh god. So you. <laughs> he was he had to come back because his 30 day rehab was up. It would have been up today as we record this. Right now it can restart. So <laughs> yay. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I, I just meant so at least it, there's no risk of having to force a decision. I just, it was more the point I'm trying to make. Oh, OK. Yeah. You know, well. they, they can give him the time to properly recover from this concussion and then throw a couple more times. So it's not I, I just wanted to it's a procedural thing, but I just figured I should mention it on the good news front. Well, on the, yeah. Well, so Romano is is throwing and it, and it seems to be pain free, which means his he, he will likely have the minimum stay on the IL 15 days for pitchers for those of you who have forgotten. For yeah. Bo will not, which is 10 days for hitters, but he's also, according to Ross Atkins was feeling a lot better a couple of days ago. I mean, Bo's injury, which I don't think we talked about, or maybe we did. I can't remember, but Bo's injury was scary. You know, a guy pulling up in the middle of the field and, you know, in the middle of base running and his knee grabbing his knee and not being able to run anymore. We did talk about it. Yep. But yeah, but uh, no structural or serious structural damage and which we talked about. And he's, he might be back within maybe not 15 days, but 20 days based on the sounds of it. And, you know, if they can, the faster they can get Paul DeYoung out of the starting lineup, the better, but <laughs> you know, oh God, he's been awful, but yeah, I mean, Bichette, coming back would be huge because he's the best hitter on the team. So yeah, the fact yeah. that it's like, it could be a short IL stand. It's incredible. The fact that the blue Jays have 
continue to win baseball games in Bo Bichette's absence is also uh, credit to the team, <laughs> you know, uh, not letting that uh, be the thing that drags them down. So yay for a sweep uh, in Boston and a, uh, and a win in Cleveland. Uh, on the on the heels of that, are they still are they still up one nothing? They are still up one nothing. My gosh, With the base is loaded and no one out for the Jays at the moment. Yeah, but, that uh, may still be a one nothing thing. I've watched this team all year, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> We're ready to get hurt again. Um, you you can't yeah, hurt so, me, man. I'm numb. I'm so numb. <laughs> so the, the I mean. They say that baseball tends to work itself out, right? It's like, oh, what are they going to do when Chad Green's back and Ryu's still on the roster? Well, Richards is hurt. Chad Green gets a ball off the head. Romano's hurt. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess we have time to make a decision. Uh, this highlights the value of that extra bullpen depth, though, with Hicks. Yeah. Which yeah, is I mean, a whole experience watching him close a baseball game that people were clearly did not do their research. Because on Twitter, people are like, what is going on? Why can't he hit the strike zone? Well, yeah, because he's Jordan Hicks. Yeah, just the Jordan Hicks experience. We talked about it on the last episode. Like, yeah. This is what he does. His stuff is incredible, but, you know, he doesn't always know remotely where it's going or it's right down the middle, right? That's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but Do up your seatbelt. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, anyway, but the, the, the bullpen hasn't skipped a beat, even despite losing... Romano and Richards, arguably the two best relievers on the team. Well, no, Mays has been incredible, but nothing wrong with Swanson. <laughs> no, no, but uh, I'm just saying, but uh, mm -hmm. just arguably, right? The Jays bullpen has been so good that I can't even say definitely, despite the performance level of those two pitchers. <laughs> so, yeah, they've they've just kept going and kept keep. Um, no, they have a, a blip here and there, as all bullpens do, but they're still one of the best bullpens in the major leagues. Yeah, who is backing up one of the best starting rotations in the major leagues. It's insane. All right. So, on that positive note, which we rarely end the first section of this podcast on, I'm going to take a break. We're going to take a breather. We're going to come back with your questions. And uh, we have epic do-over. We'll be right back after this. And we're back. And uh, that that pause was just long enough for the Blue Jays to resolve a bases loaded, nobody out situation by doing what they do best, not scoring any runs. Um, man, it's it's uh, it's a thing. Josh was so silent when that happened, and I I don't blame him. But he's not going to be silent he anymore. Lost me. He thought we'd be yeah. disconnected because <laughs> I just I, I just got quiet. <laughs> but he's not quiet anymore because we're going to answer your questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? For the people who imagine we do this in the same room, that comment must have just been jarring. That I, I thought you got disconnected. <laughs> <laughs> do people still think that? I mean, I guess some might. Somebody, I don't know. New listeners? Uh, we got questions. Minor Leaguer says, whose fault? Was it when Chad Green was boinked on the head by Tyler Heineman's throw to second base? Do you blame Green for not ducking low enough or the catcher for not throwing high enough over the mound? It's Jansen for not getting injured enough to go in the IL and force a Heineman call up. Wow. Off the board. board. No, actually, it's both of them. <laughs> so Heineman's throw is awful. You should not be hitting the... Because he, he was crouched, right? You should not be hitting a crouched pitcher in the head with a throw, but Green also, you know, duck a little bit more, you know? Like, get, just get out of the way. <laughs> Well, I've, I feel like the, the instinct when the catcher lets go of the throw, if you're the, you're the pitcher, is it to look to see how the play goes at second base? No, man. You, 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 you duck and then turn your head. You don't stand there and turn around. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking you duck, but when you watch the ball be released, are you watching it come right at your head? Or are you are you like leading the ball to see where the play goes? I don't know. Yeah, oh, no, he was definitely turned around to watch the throw, right? That, all pitchers will do that. Yeah, but oh, yeah, a lot of them. I mean, no, what I'll do is like I'll duck and watch the throw over my head and follow it. 
Yeah. But either way, he's got to get down. Heinemann's <laughs> got to get the throw up. <laughs> yeah, the throw has to be chest height or higher. Otherwise, he's not even going to get to second base. Chest height? Chest height would have hit him in the face. I mean, or hit him in the neck or something. No, it's got to be higher than chest high. The ball sink goes down as it travels. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay, BK at BKUH. Uh, says bringing back a classic bullpen tears you can use arms currently on the injured list as well wow thanks um this is an s tier bullpen you were alluding to it earlier yeah so um, I, yeah, go ahead is there a is it just one big tier at this point well you don't want swans in closing you said that earlier is that because you tiers? want him this is, this is our this is our trust tiers not not whether right. they should be pitching in the game it's not because I don't trust Swanson. It's because I want him pitching when he can get strikeouts with runners on base. It's because I trust him too much. Right. Hatch is gone. Bass is gone. Pop isn't here. Not that Pop was bad, but Pop, Pop I think, was maybe not our let's go to them late in games. Uh, Pearson's uh, in the minors. Yeah. Uh, who's our side-arming friend? The name is Sim Simber. Oh, well, she's, well, yeah. He's been gone so long I forgot he existed. Yeah. He's uh he's still injured. I don't think he'll ever pitch with the Blue Jays again. But you know the the seven guys that are here, we should say who they are, are so Jordan Hicks, who we discussed, <laughs> Eric Swanson, Tim Meza. Uh, sorry, Jordan Hicks, Eric Swanson, Tim Meza, Yimmy Garcia, Jay Jackson, who who is S tier for some inexplicable reason. <laughs> yeah, Enesis Cabrera. And uh, well, Bowden Francis is currently up, so he's at the bottom. He's in his own. He, he's in his own tier at the bottom. Although he's been fine. It's, uh, but if we throw the guys that are injured in there, which would be Richards and Romano, they're also S tier. <laughs> they both been so good. I feel I like trust you, them all. You could put Jimmy Garcia and um, Eric Swanson in like the A tier if we're doing tier. Because they're I, I they're the only ones I remember really blowing up when you really didn't want it to happen, either going on a walk spree or giving up a home run or whatever. Who are currently in the bullpen? Um, but A tier is fine. I could I could do a whole bullpen full of A tier guys. <laughs> I'm not complaining. Sure, yeah, that's fine. And then Francis is you know B or C, right? Right. Um, I guess so. I guess if I'm being honest. As good as he's been, Jackson's probably there for me as well. Just because of track record and stuff. I, I, I mean, I can't complain about the performance, but I also at some point think it might just stop. Yeah. I hope it doesn't. And I don't think it will. I'm still putting him in A, but I, yeah, the bullpen is just very trustworthy right now, though. Yeah, it's, it's a good time. Uh, Curtis, at 4 Wedgwood, asks, when do you move Vlad in the order? Uh, well, they already did, technically. Yeah. Where do you move him to, though? I mean, what, are you going to drop Vlad to sixth? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Vlad, the The whole Vlad thing doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, you know, his spray chart doesn't look the same as it did in previous years. His, you know, his inability to ever get the ball in the air is back. His, his you know, strike zone command is, your judgment is not great right now. I, He's supposed to be a superstar, and he's overshadowed easily by Bo Bichette this year. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, well, there was a stat that since, I think it was May 1st, he's got a lower OPS considerably than Kevin Vigio. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, so, but it's still at the same time, it's, it's flat, right? He's got a... Pedigree. And a track yeah, well, record. Yeah. You can't move him far down. I mean, there's just also, it's like, there's not enough performance to justify moving other guys up. No one's hitting. Yeah. That's why, that's why the team can't score runs. Yeah, I think that's the other thing. If you, it, it, I think he would already have been moved if Matt Chapman had a 950 OPS. Right? Or if, uh, if Dalton Varsho had an 800 OPS and was consistent and was, you know, hitting, hitting dingers twice a week but none of those things have happened like you said everyone is worse 
Vlad is yeah. no is not very good, and everyone else is worse. So he gets to stay where he's always been up at the top. Uh, Jonah at Jonah underscore envy says, if the Blue Jays make it to the AL wild card, has you say done enough to get a starting nod in the opening round, or will the squad go with Gaussman, Bassett, Barrios, who ostensibly are the three big big ticket pitchers, right? I think that because they've seen what a weapon Kikuchi can be in the bullpen. He probably would just go to the pen. But at the same time, if he just keeps pitching like this, so right now, if it was right now, I think it would be Gossman, Burrios, and Bassett. Unless it was facing a team that's just loaded up with left-handed bats, then I think you just go with Kikuchi because he's really good against left-handed hitters. But if it's just a neutral offense or a right-handed leaning offense, as it stands right now, I think it has to be Kikuchi in the pen just because of what he can do out there. You can't use Bassett as a reliever. He's not going to come in and, you know, with his kitchen sink approach. That's not, that's not bullpen pitching. No. Um, but if Kikuchi keeps doing this through the end of the season, it's Robbie Ray from 2019, right? Or 2021, sorry. It was Robbie Ray from 2021 where it's just you have to use that guy. Yeah. So – Yeah. It's a good problem. If it becomes a problem, it's a really good one. Yeah, and and if if you know, it doesn't mean you don't end up using Bassett in the playoffs. It means if you can get through that first by some miracle get through that first round, uh and you need, you know, you now need four starters and you use Kikuchi, well, that's fine. <laughs> now your fourth starter is Bassett and you're not really worried because he's also excellent. Uh but that's way in the future, isn't it, Josh? Yep, they really have to work, do work to get there because – so the problem with the way the things are set up, the Blue Jays need to beat the Mariners in the standings because of the second tiebreaker being intra-divisional record, which is a stupid tiebreaker, but whatever. Or a stupid second tiebreaker because the Mariners and the Jays split the six-game series, and the Mariners are only one game back at the Jays in the last column right now. If they tie with the Mariners, the Blue Jays will be out unless they also pass Houston. So it's a fight for the Jays right now just to get in the postseason. And the way they're playing does not encourage hope, despite the fact that they're winning some games and they've won a lot of games recently. The offense, at some point, the pitching might get tired. At some point, the pitching might just have a few bad games in a row. And if the offense doesn't turn around, they will lose all those. So they need to start playing better because you can't win two, two to one, three to one, one nothing all the time. <laughs> it's just not sustainable. And, and I think it's interesting because there, there are two schools of thought there. One is, and I think there, there's no way to predict which one is, is actually on, on the right track until it actually happens. One school of thought is, these are better hitters. They're going to come around before the pitching, you know, reverts to some kind of, uh, you know, quote unquote normalcy. And the other one is, um, you know, th this, uh, it's only a matter of time before the pitching falls apart and there's no hitting to back it up. Right. Like either of those things could happen as you described. And one of them is like, Oh, that wasn't so tough after all. And the other one is like, Oh, well the Blue Jays missed the playoffs cause, cause they just couldn't put it together this year. It's it's really hard to see how this team is doing what it's doing right now for so long because it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, I don't think the pitching will ever fall off a cliff, right? There's just too many good pitchers on the roster, whether it's the starters or the relievers. But it's just whether they you – know, the 2016 pitching staff is sort of the comp here, right? Their pitching was incredible all year. And then they had a stretch in September. It was late, and they just got bombed out in multiple games, I think it was by the Rays at home because, you know, pitchers will just have bad games sometimes as we saw in those earlier Boston series. And, you know, when it comes down, when you've got a lead of a game or two games, that can be the difference between making it or not. So the offense will need to start winning a game or two as opposed to just not losing it completely. All right. On that rather unhappy note, I think we should go to a franchise embarrassing itself. Oh, my God. Here we go. <laughs> Oops. I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But 
Ostensibly, this is about a man named Kevin Brown, but really it's not. Uh, it's more about uh, Angelos, the owner of the, I forget the, it's not, it's the son now. I can't remember his name. That's bad. The owner of the Baltimore Orioles. Um, as, as with all teams owned by single individuals, uh, the whims of the owner loom large. Kevin Brown did a pregame um, about Baltimore being in the trop. He even had a graphic prepared uh, by, presumably, by him. No, by the production team, right? Uh, and obviously someone went John over in pregame. John Angelo. Um, and, uh, you know, went by a bunch of eyeballs. And essentially he said, paraphrased, the uh, Orioles have been very bad against the Rays at the Trop over the past number of years, but this year they've turned it around completely and are really playing well against them. And he got suspended from his job for saying, "Really? <laughs> it's I mean, there's criticizing an organization, right? Like years ago, Will, Mike Wilner got suspended for getting into it and basically." criticizing Cito's managerial decisions in a back and forth. That's worthy of a suspension, you know, because you're openly being antagonistic towards the franchise, right? Not, not just saying something that's backed, right? Mm -hmm. He just, and it was also saying that they're doing better, right? Well, yeah, the fact was in 2023, this is a very good ball club. (laughs) Yeah. And apparently John Angelos thought it made them look cheap. I, I don't even understand how the Rays are a really good team. It doesn't matter if they're the, the, the payrolls don't have anything to do with it. The, ask Jays fans what they think about series at the Trop, right? Does it, do they think it's because the Jays are cheap? No, it's because the Jays, the Rays are really good. Uh, well, and that place is uh, okay. The, I guess. Yeah, it's cursed. The, the contrast for me that also blew my mind was, I believe John Schneider called it the house of horrors this year. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. So everybody knows <laughs> it's not a secret. <laughs> it's hard to play at Tropicana Field because the Rays are built to play there and nobody else is, and they're a good team. So yeah. like what was what was the sin? And again, I can understand if you wanna if you wanna pull someone who works for the team again, the uh, I, I assume that the Bor- Orioles have a share in MASN, which is, of course, why he can do this, right? Um, yes. and, and the Blue Jays are in the same situation. They own the network, which broadcasts the team. So a bit of a conflict of interest. You don't have, you know, a lot of editorial independence if, if the owner doesn't want you to. But all of baseball broadcasts and largely baseball fans, I think, have come to Kevin Brown's defense to say, hey, Look, stating facts should not be grounds for suspension. Susan Waldman and John Sterling were hilarious because they were going on about how, it, A, people don't buy rah-rah BS just because the announcer is saying it, that that doesn't fly with real fans, and that John and Susan would probably be suspended every week if if they weren't allowed to say that the team wasn't hitting and wasn't stealing bases and can't run or couldn't play defense. Hasn't been a problem over in Yankee land, right? No, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, just all, it's all silly. But I think we should play some of the fun reactions. All right. So we'll play one. We'll play Chip Carey uh, and his take on, on how, uh, how one needs to talk about the Orioles. Number one. I think the big challenge for the Rays going forward, Brad, is A, they're playing in the East where they've lost, I think, 270 consecutive games to the Orioles. But only three games back, they're going to be without Shane McClanahan, who we were told right before game time today, it's unlikely he's going to pitch again this season as he tries to sort out a forearm problem. Yeah, it's going to be difficult for them. And, you know, look, the, the Orioles are playing good baseball. They can do no wrong at this point. The Orioles can do no wrong at this point, unless, of course, the owner is involved, in which case they can't do anything right. <laughs> Is it really a 200? Games. Yeah, 270. That's a, that's a good streak. I mean, obviously, one for the record books. Oh, my goodness. Like, is that what, what 
what Kevin Brown was supposed to say, you know? I'm not, not sure. It sounds like it because you're not allowed to tell the truth. <laughs> you're not allowed to be honest about the team's performance on the field. What's insane is that, I mean, he didn't even make the graphic, right? It was prepared for him by this by the crew, and he just talked about it. Yeah. It was literally, it was the first page of the game notes. Yeah. It, Nothing oh. special. And, and Yeah, and, and so that was just one of the public takes on it. The Mets crew basically just ripped into the Orioles. And then the White Sox crew did did something similar. It's like, oh, are we allowed to say that we're six and seven against the, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and now now rumors have come out that uh, they want, uh, they always want the announcers in team gear, that uh, certain players who used to play for the Orioles weren't supposed to be mentioned on air. Um, I think it goes on and on and on. How small an ego or how, uh, how tender an ego must uh, Angelos have for this to be where he focuses his energies when he's supposed to be building a winning ball club? It's just petty nonsense. <laughs> Why is he concerned about this stuff at all? You have a team that's in first place. Just let people enjoy them. Yeah, shut up and get out of the way. I guess that's the problem. Is people like, uh, like that cannot just shut up and get out of the way. Yeah. All right. Uh, but we're about to get out of the way entirely after we take um, final thoughts into account. Do you have a final thought? Yeah, I, so it's not Blue Jays related. Michael Lorenzen threw a no-hitter for the Phillies. I love when guys come over from the deadline and do something just crazy like that. Obviously, I didn't like it as much when that or that Astros combo did it while Derek Fisher was taking a fly ball off the face. But it's his first home start. I'm talking about ingratiating yourself to the new fans. <laughs> Just go out there and throw a no-hitter. Yeah, you got it right. You did it proper. Um, so my, uh, my final thought is uh, about how Fenway is just a travesty. <laughs> um, is it Moshida playing left field for the Red Sox? Mastaki Yoshida, yeah. Yoshida, Yoshida. I don't know if he was playing in the Yeah, video. he was. It was Yoshida. I feel bad for him because, I mean, it's one thing to come to North America and have to play baseball, you know, and not understand the language as well and culturally have to make all the adjustments. And then what you had left at Fenway is like extra punishment. <laughs> so he goes up against the, the monster to make a catch and he bounces off the scoreboard and he comes back. Yeah, he misses it. He misses it. He comes out. He takes a couple steps, he looks around for the ball, and then he turns around and he looks at the wall and he looks around for the ball. There's no ball. The ball went through the glass in front of the sign that's like one of the ball marker lamps in the green monster. <laughs> it saved a run. Because <laughs> it's a ground yeah, rule double. A ground rule double. I'd, he reached in and got it out. I... I I don't know if I would. Like, I don't know how hot the light well, bulb is. I don't know if that's sharp. If you look at the video, it is a huge bulb. The bulb <laughs> is just sitting in it. I think it was probably safe from being cut up or anything like that. But it's a dump. That's what I said. It's a horrible park. Oh, yeah. Things you've never seen. I've seen balls hit the ladder and do weird stuff. But I've never seen a ball disappear into the scoreboard wall. Uh, and I think Darnell McDonald tweeted. And he goes, that that never happened, even when I was patrolling out there. I have no idea. <laughs> it's like, I don't know either, dude. All right. So, that is to say uh, that you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and this has been episode number 278 of Artificial Turf Wars. We'll talk at you next week. Mm -hmm.